And it's not the circumcision part that matters most to us, I think, on this Christmas Sunday. In fact, as Christians, we should always be thinking when we come across the idea of circumcision in Scripture, we should be thinking about Christian baptism. Circumcision in the Old Testament was the mark for being set apart by God. It was the visible sign of being a part of the covenant family, this covenant that God was making with the Israelites. It, of course, was for males only, and so females could only participate sort of by observation of this. But Christian baptism is open to all, male and female alike. It's, equ- it's an equal sign to all of us that we are, in fact, set apart for God, that each of us, has the the invitation to be a part of the family of God. That's what Christian baptism is. It introduces us. It it brings us into the family to be a part of the covenant. And so this is what I think about when I come across circumcision of Scripture. I think about Christian baptism. I think about the way that God has this ever-expanding circle of love that he is pulling in men and women, young and old alike, to be a part of his family, to make room for all. But like I said, that was just freebie, because that's not what this message is about on Christmas Sunday, thankfully. (laughs) Simeon's declaration, I think, is important for us for two reasons, and I want to highlight them today. The first is the fact that I think that this declaration is prophetic in nature. And so often when we think of the prophets, or biblical prophecy, we want to think about it just as future prediction. So the prophet's words and meaning of those words gets reduced down to, did that future event happen yet or not? Do we need to be looking for it? For many, this predictive nature is what's most important about the prophets. But a careful reading of the prophets helps us to see that this, it isn't always about prediction. In fact, I don't think it's really about prediction as much as it is about fulfillment. God filling full his plan of salvation. The point of the prophets isn't to interpret them so that we can pinpoint dates and make predictions. Instead, the prophets are calling us to see the world differently, I think. To see the world through God's eyes. To see the fulfillment of his vision. So back to Simeon. He's not declared a prophet in this text. But he is named holy and righteous. And he offers us a kind of prophetic declaration here. So we could reduce what he's saying down to a checkbox today if we wanted. Look. He said Jesus is the prophesied one to come. He he fits the description of the one that is to come to save. So we can check it off. He's done it. He is this. He's, here's one more proof for us. One more prediction checked off that makes us easier to believe in Jesus. And look, if you need that this morning, if you need one more prediction to, to say, oh, look, he fits, he fits the description. This is him. He is the one. Then by all means, embrace that. Accept it. That's good for us. But there's more to it than just this predictive element. Simeon's declaration is about fulfillment. It's about God fulfilling this vision, his vision for the world. This leads us to the second purpose for today, 
the filling full, the fulfillment, the filling full of what it means for Jesus to be Savior. So I want us to consider for just a brief moment what we've already visited in the texts that have been read, uh, particularly in last night's uh, service, but texts that we're familiar with during this Christmas season. Jesus' conception happens under kind of questionable circumstances, doesn't it? He's born to very ordinary people. The birth message is first given to shepherds before anyone else. He's born in Bethlehem of all places, and he's born in a manger. Now, I don't know about you. I don't know. I mean, this is the story that we've been told and we embrace, and, and so it's just kind of familiar to us. But I don't know if you really ever sat and thought about these elements before. How weird they are. If I was planning this, if I was God, for instance, and I was planning this, this isn't how I would think to craft this story, to create this narrative, to do this work. These aren't the elements that I would have chosen. How about you? I think we might have laughed many of these options out of consideration. Why would we want a Savior to have a questionable conception story? Wouldn't we want there to be no doubt no questioning that his lineage would be very clearly defined for us and accepted by everyone. Why should he be born to an ordinary poor couple? Shouldn't the king of kings and the lord of lords be born to a family of prestige, of wealth, of means? And shouldn't the king be born in a significant place? Bethlehem is not a significant place. It's a backwater little village. Why not Jerusalem, the center of God's work in the world, or, or at least Rome, the power of the day? But Bethlehem. And we're to risk all of this happening in an unsanitized location where animals live and feed. Have you ever thought about this? That this is where the Son of Man <laughs> comes into the world. Shouldn't the Son of Man be born with all the medical care possible for the age? In the most luxurious of locations, because that's where lords should be, right? And the first people to hear about this is the lowly shepherds. Now, I don't want you to think I'm looking down at shepherds. That's not my estimation of shepherds, but you need to understand in Jesus' time, shepherds were not highly regarded by most people. They were not the elite of society. They were not at the top. They, in fact, were very much at the bottom or near the bottom of society in terms of the power and prestige. And yet, they're the ones that get to receive this news first. This is how this story is going? Who's writing this? Not you. <laughs> Not me. God is. God's writing this story. And God knows exactly what you and I need, don't, doesn't he? Which is not always what you and I want. Did you hear me? God knows exactly what you and I need, but it's not always what we want. 
Christmas Day might be no better proof of that statement that on this day when our wants and needs don't always align with the gifts we receive. Kids, teens, you wanted socks, clothing for Christmas, I'm sure, right? (laughs) You might have needed it, but do you want it? Like, there's always this tension between needs and wants, and they don't always align. God is interested. You know what? I totally skipped a page. I was wondering, where in the world? I thought I'm missing a whole bunch of stuff. What's going on here? i got to backtrack a little bit. Wow, this is a terrible sermon now. (laughs) 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 All right. So you got a preview of of towards the end. Wow, that that is awkward. My very first sermon I preached, uh, <laughs> was in college, and it was in class. So I was taking, it's called homiletics, which is preaching. And so I, I had written my very first sermon I ever written, uh, and I was scared. The only class I've ever taken in college that I was scared of, because I, I was a good student, but I just felt like preaching was something like you, you had to have a gift for that. Like, and I just didn't feel like I had it. Uh, <laughs> So I had, I had this full manuscript that I had, and I get up in front of the class, and I start preaching away, and I get to, you know, page three or something, and there is no page three in my manuscript. It's not there. And I'm, I'm like, what's going on? Well, thankfully, I had to print off a second copy for my professor, so I <laughs> had to get down, go get the page three. Um, well, it turns out that I had been looking at my sermon text in chapel, uh, right before class, and <laughs> somehow my page three made it onto the chapel floor and not into the classroom. <sighs> you would have thought 20-some years later I'd be a little better at this, but <laughs> here I am. Okay, so let's backtrack. Our second purpose. So this idea of the Savior, right? Many of us in here have been in the church for a long time. We think, like, we know what the Savior is. We know, actually, today... We're here at the beginning of or at the beginning of this kind of Christmas season. We know that we're here with the Christ child, but we also know the rest of the gospel story. Many of us, or most of us in here, do. That we know the cross is coming, don't we? We know that that the empty tomb is looming on the horizon. But familiarity with this story doesn't mean we always understand its meaning. So maybe Simeon's purpose is not just a simple checkbox for us to mark and say, look, Jesus is the predicted one. Maybe he offers a deeper meaning for us. And so a good place to start with this deeper meaning, I think, is with the acknowledgement we want a Savior, we need a Savior. Imagine you are here today, I imagine you're here today because you believe this, or you're at least open to this idea. But Simeon's words challenge us to be careful that we don't misunderstand this Savior. Simeon, a Jewish man sitting in the temple courts, the Jewish temple, sees the baby Jesus and through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit says to God, my eyes have seen your salvation, verse 30. He sees a baby and he knows. 
that's the Savior. Whoa. How? Well, the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. But we also need to recognize that Simeon was going to the temple regularly expecting to see this happen in some way. Not in knowing necessarily exactly how or when, but he was going to the temple expectantly. And I wonder if there's a bit of a lesson there for us in and of itself. I wonder, did you come in this morning on Christmas Sunday expecting anything from God at all? Did you expect to hear from him in the music, in the words of scripture, in the sermon? At the table that we're going to come to, do you expect to meet God? Did you expect anything of him this morning? Do you expect to meet him regularly in your life? Do you live a life of expectancy? I wonder if we did that. And I know it's really challenging. It's challenging me for, to do that as well because we get so consumed by life and all the things that we need to do in the list and all that responsibility that sometimes we forget. We push God to the side a little bit. And yes, we set apart Sunday, but there's a whole lot of life living between the Sundays. And I just wonder if we were expectant, might we see God doing amazing things that he's doing that maybe we're just missing because we're not looking like Simeon was looking. But Simeon immediately follows these words with surprising ones. Verse 32, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for the glory to your people Israel. Now, I don't think there's any surprise at the end of that. Of course, the Messiah or the Christ comes, the Savior comes, and he's going to affect the people of Israel. Because this story is a continuation of the Old Testament and what God has been doing since the beginning of time, trying to redeem, to recreate, to bring salvation and he was doing that through the Jewish people, so it makes a lot of sense that Simeon would say this about them. But did you notice he talks about Gentiles? Now, I can't state this strongly enough, I don't think. This is radical. Here's this Jewish man standing in the Jewish temple, and he speaks of the salvation that is going to come to Gentiles, to us. Now, we've seen bits of this in the Old Testament, if you're paying attention. Little, little snapshots, little kind of foreshadowing of what is happening in Jesus at this moment. I think of Rahab, the city of Jericho. You remember her? She's not Jewish. She was not an Israelite, but saved. I think of, of um, Ruth, the Moabitess, who follows her mother-in-law back to Israel not her homeland, but she chooses to go with Naomi. Her God will become, or Naomi's God will become her God. I think of Naaman, the Syrian captain of the army who's healed of leprosy. I think of Jonah being called to the city of Nineveh. That text tells us the evil city of Nineveh. And Jonah, as you know the story, doesn't want to go to Nineveh because he knows God is compassionate and that he might forgive these people. And what happens? They do repent. And God forgives and Jonah's not happy about it. So we've been given these little windows, these little these little glimpses that God's work has always been about expanding to other people, to all people, in fact. But here's this Jewish man standing in the Jewish temple, and he loudly declares, proclaims, this 
child, this one, that is the Savior, the fulfillment, the filling full of this, of this work of God is for Gentiles. Hmm. A Savior that isn't just for God's people, but for all people. In fact, I think maybe we need to reframe it because of what Simeon does in the temple that day. That what you and I need to hear is that all people are God's people. God is for all people. And God wants all people to be saved. That the Savior has come for everyone. Now, of course, we need to follow that up with this caveat. God chooses all. But he's giving space for us to respond. We have a part in this. So all are not automatically saved, are they? We have to choose to accept this gift. But the point that I'm trying to make here is that Simeon says this. It used to be for exclu- mostly for this group of people. But look, it's expanding. It's, it's becoming wider. It's for all people. All people have access to the salvation. And I think that would be an amazing place to stop the sermon. Particularly if I hadn't messed it up. It's a high note, isn't it? I mean, it's a good, similar to what I said last night. But Simeon presses on. You already got a preview of it. Uh, He says in verse 33, This child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel, and to be a sign that will be spoken against, so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed, and a sword will pierce your soul too. So a Savior has been born. But maybe not the one you expected or wanted. This, ver- this is very similar to what I said a month ago at Christ the King Sunday, that very last Sunday of the Christian calendar. We need to be careful, I think, that we don't reduce Jesus down to our image and likeness. <laughs> We're actually called to be shaped in his image and likeness. But I think there is a perpetual challenge for us as people of faith to constantly reduce our Lord and Savior down to our needs our wants, our expectations. The Savior has come. But he hasn't come on your terms or my terms. And so, those little points that I, Jesus' conception, he's born to very ordinary people. The birth message was delivered to shepherds first. He was born in Bethlehem. He He was born in a manger. All of these things that you and I necess- wouldn't necessarily choose as the ways that we would write, at least I'm, I'm speaking for myself, I assume that you're with me on this. Would we choose to write this story this way? It seems like the Savior that we would want, the one that we think we would need, would, would come with all the pomp and circumstance, would come with the heavenly angels surrounding and guarding and protecting. That's the story that I think we would want from our Savior, the one that's very clear and no questions about it, and everybody sees and knows. But that's not the story that we're given. Because again, you and I are not writing it. God is. And God knows exactly what we need, which is not always what we want. God isn't interested in giving us the Savior we want, but he does want to give us the Savior we need.
So maybe, friends, the sword needs to pierce our souls, too. Because we need to let go of expectations that God will do what we want, how we want, and when we want it. Mary surely did not know that the salvation that was going to come through her son was going to lead to the cross. How could she know that? And so Simeon meets her that day and says, yes, this is the one. But it's going to cause pain and difficulty for you. There are going to be some challenges, some unexpected things that happen. And I wonder if Simeon is saying that to us today as well. On this Christmas Sunday, we need to accept that God moves in mysterious and unexpected ways because he is God, and we are not. <laughs> but when he moves, we can be sure of this, friends. He is fulfilling his plan of redemption. God is fulfilling his plan of redemption. He is filling it full. In fact, this is what he wants to do in your life and in my life to fill it full maybe not in the ways you expect maybe not even in the ways that you think you want but definitely in the ways that you need so may we each choose to be open to the story that he is writing in and through us may we be filled full at the end of this year and the beginning of the next. Would you stand with me as we sing a responsive song? God, things don't always go the way that we plan or expect, apparently not even this sermon. But you're here. You show up. You're with us no matter what. When these unexpected things happen, would you remind us that you're God you care about us that you are the one that is in fact saving us so would you help us to trust you to turn to you to rely on you we praise you for who you are and what you are doing in this world would you continue to fill us full in your son's name we pray amen <laughs>